Today's show is brought to you by mParticle. It's the only customer data platform built to address modern data challenges. For most brands today, customer interactions are spread across lots of connected devices, and that makes it tough to create optimal experiences and drive the right marketing outcomes. That's why brands like Spotify, Venmo, and Airbnb use mParticle. It lets them unify customer data into a single customer view. Then they can easily integrate that data into any marketing or analytics platform with no additional engineering time required. The result is more personalized customer experiences on websites and in apps, as well as more relevant ads across all channels and partners. Visit mparticle.com to learn about how mparticle can help your business unify the customer experience and accelerate growth. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as someone who used to work for the city paper in Washington, D.C., but in my spare time, I talk about tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, I'm in Washington, D.C., and I'm here with Mark Ein, someone I've wanted to talk to for a while, and now I have an excellent reason. He's an investor and entrepreneur. He's the CEO of several companies, including Venture House Group and Capital Investment Corporation 4. Is that 4? Last year, the most interesting part, he bought the alternative newspaper here in Washington, the Washington City paper, where I used to work. It was my first and second job or something like that. I was very young. And he's working with some of the paper's other alumni, including Jake Tapper and Ta-Nehisi Coates, to figure out where it goes next and about local news. There's so much to talk about. Welcome to the show, Mark. It's great to be here. Um, I ran into you at CES, um, which was interesting for you to be there. I want to know why you were there. But let's talk a little bit about you, because my listeners are a lot of tech and media people. But talk about what you've done, because you've done a whole bunch of really interesting entrepreneurial companies. Yeah, I've, we've really run the gamut from investing in early stage companies, starting companies, to growth capital, to SPACs, buying, to, SPACs to buying whole businesses. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, in in sort of the tech boom 1.0 that you were part of in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., there was, the Washington area was a really booming area. It there was. was a lot of great companies, AOL, MCI, Nextel. We were involved in a lot of those. Um, as we got to the next phase of the internet, uh, DC just wasn't a hot bed no. of those kind of opportunities. And I had done, as I mentioned, everything from early stage to late stage. And what I really decided was I wanted to buy, spend my time focusing on putting more capital and more time into buying whole businesses, mm-hmm. but then taking a venture mindset towards them. Right. Um, it, I just felt like you know, every time I invested in startups, I felt like the day after you invested, they started losing your money the next day. <laughs> and I right. felt like, you it's know, it rules. was a, it was literally like a race to like fill up the tank before you ran out of gas. Right. And if you're in a market like Silicon Valley or some other places where 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 there's a lot of terrific companies and entrepreneurs, that works. I think if you're in other places, t- traditionally, that's well, been I wanna, really hard. I want to get into it, but let's get more into your background. How did you get, you worked at the traditional companies. You worked at, uh, is it Blackstone? And I worked at Carlisle, Carlisle and Carlisle, Goldman sorry. before that. Yeah, and I was at so Carlisle. explain your background. So you, you yeah. went into finance, which is a typical yeah, career. I went to Penn and yeah. worked at Goldman in the 80s. and then I But then I went out to the West Coast and worked at a firm called Brentwood Associates, which mm-hmm. was one of the early venture LA, firms right? in LA. They right. were investors in Apple and other companies like that. And I uh, had Why'd a great experience. There? I really wanted to get to California. I always wanted to live out there, and mm-hmm. I loved it. And, and I loved the people there. They were really 
high quality people who are focused on being great investors. And I wanted to be, and back then in 1989, there were not many jobs for a 24 year old kid to get onto that side of the business. There were very, very few jobs. And uh, and I was fortunate to meet them and hit it off. And I went out there and I learned a ton from them. I did go back to business school and I almost went back to LA, but then Carlisle was five years old. I grew up in this area. I always had a dream of coming back. Carlisle, explain for people, huge, powerful (laughs) A little scary. <laughs> well, <laughs> who knows what they're up to? Investment firm. I think it's uh, it is one of the largest private equity firms in the world. They do a lot of stuff. When I was there, there were thirty of us, and we had a hundred million dollar fund. So it was wow, a very small. different. It was very God. small, and it was the only thing in Washington I could ever imagine doing back then. There sure. was that was the business I wanted to be in. It was the only game in town, and it was a little bit of a startup. And to be honest, up until its first five years when I joined it, it had a sort of mixed track record of some things good and some not. I went there and I started focusing on growth capital in wireless communication. So Big we did deal. a lot of stuff. We Perfect sort of hit timing. the wave. It was amazing. The rest of the firm was focusing on buying defense companies, which right. was what the firm was known for, but we supplemented it with the other and, and it worked out great. And what I learned was that um, if you rolled up your sleeves and got involved, as I mentioned, in companies, even if you got involved later, you could really make a difference. You could be a catalyst to helping those companies be more valuable. And so I thought, rather than having a big portfolio and being spread thin, why don't I be more more concentrated in a smaller number of companies with my time and capital? Mm -hmm. And eventually, Carl got got bigger, and I decided I want to go off on my own and do that. And Mm -hmm. I left in 99 to start my own firm called Venture House. that was sort of the peak of the internet bubble and also the decline. <laughs> like there was a whole yeah. fallow period. Yeah. And so I started in 99, which was kind of the still the boom times. That's when and AOL re- bought Time Warner. That was when AOL, AOL did buy it. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Right. They did buy it. It wasn't they a did. merger. Yeah. Yeah. The famous picture with yeah. Steve in the suit. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Levin in the uh, jeans. So, um, and, uh, yeah, and so it was the, but, but, so I raised the money really quickly. People were excited. I had a great track record. And for a year, I was everyone's favorite genius because everything was going through the what roof. What were you investing and then in then? Early stage company, we were early investors in XM Satellite, a mm-hmm. company called Varsity Books. We did some stuff that I we seeded Varsity ourselves. Books. Yeah, we were in a whole bunch of stuff like that. We seeded a few things ourselves. And, uh, and for a year and a half, everything was going up and I was everyone's favorite genius around town. And then the bust happened and... I was everyone's favorite idiot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it was interesting because through that, I I never changed my perception of what mm-hmm. we were doing. I felt very comfortable with where we are. But I got, you get buffeted by sort of the headwinds and tailwinds in the world around you. And so um, I kept our head down. And I actually went to our investors because the one thing we did is we didn't invest really heavily the way a lot of other people sure. did. So we had a lot of capital. I went to people and I said, look, do you want us to keep going? And everyone said, no, Mark, we believe in you. Let's keep going. And mm-hmm. so that's when we really pivoted and said, there's a lot of companies who are really good that we can buy at the moment for good prices, but that then we can help grow as if we... So what were you focusing in on? Because you did you did a lot of did cloud, you did a lot of, you yeah. did a lot of tech, everything's tech, right? Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways. And Castle, which was the big success, uh, yeah. that's all tech, like how yeah. buildings become smart, I guess. Yeah, so it was tech, media, telecom. It was um, one of the companies that we see, it was a company called Matrix. It became the world's leading RFID company, and mm-hmm. we sold it to Symbol which was the world's leading barcode company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't figure out how to get in the RFID no. business, so they bought us. Um, and then I bought a company, the last company we bought through Ventures was a company called Cybernet that was owned by the CTIA, and it was a billing protocol embedded in the billing systems of all the wireless carriers mm-hmm. and a clearinghouse that we bought 
Um, and I, when I saw it, I was like, this is the greatest platform company I've, I've ever seen. This thing has so many moats around it. And if we can get con left to its own devices inside the CTA, nothing's going to happen. But if we can spin it out, there's so much we can do. And we bought it for $35 million and sold it for $210 four right. years later. I, I want to get back eventually to the word moats because I think it's an important one, investing. Yeah. Like who has them and who doesn't. Yeah. Well, this one actually did because the, the company was founded by the Wireless Trade Association. <laughs> the carriers let them own the billing protocol that transmitted all the roaming mm -hmm. data back and forth. They mm -hmm. would have probably not let a third party do that uncontrolled, but because it was owned by the trade association, everyone had faith in it and we acquired that. So that was mm -hmm. a true, really valuable and, and, and Castle, which was the one that, you know, probably made you the most money, I'm guessing. We, we still own it. Yeah, you still own it. Yeah. And you looked at that because... So what I decided was after we fully invested Explain Venture Castle. House. Yeah, Castle. so Castle is the world's leading um, when you go in a building. Your building, your right. space. I was yes, very I happy to see that. I, I really, I'm really right happy. Now. Love to see that. Uh, we're the leading provider of managed access control for commercial real estate. So we do your access control, your video, and we do it on a managed service. The founder of the company is a fantastic guy. He started it in the mid-70s, and it was security as a service back mm -hmm. in the mid-70s. Right. So he was well ahead of his time. And as you know, in D.C., it's an iconic brand. When I, I was looking for a platform company that I could buy, and this opportunity came to me. And in Washington and in a few other markets, Castle is to security what Coke is to soft drinks or Xerox mm -hmm. is to copiers. It's one of those brands that people call it that, even if it's not your company. And so uh, I got introduced to the company and I came back to the office and I told my assistant, come here and bring my calendar. And I said, cancel everything for the next month. And she said, what are you talking about? You've never done this. I said, just cancel everything. I'm dropping everything in my life until I see if we can do this. And three weeks later, we had a deal to buy it. And why? What Explain, because that's something entrepreneurs, what was, Why? It just was everything you would ever want in the profile of what I was saying. An so amazing technology? platform company. It had a great business model, a great brand, a great Scalable. embedded, yeah, and so much room to grow. We could go to more geographies. We could go to more verticals. We could introduce more products into our, so like there were just so many things we could do when we got it. And the founder of the company, who is an absolutely wonderful guy, built a great business, but he was sort of at the point where he was ready to move on and was looking for a caretaker right. mm -hmm. for that company, he, he, I've met probably 25, 30 people who said they tried to buy it, but they never hit it off with him. He and I met the first time and he, an hour later, walked out and he told his number two person, I'm going to sell the company to that person. And mm -hmm. it's just been a great ride. It's a great company. And, you know, it's a, it's a great business, but we also do something important. We protect people and property and the world we live in is not getting safer. And so. Great. And it's also an interesting area. It reminds me a little bit when Cheryl Sandberg's late husband, Dave Wilbur, bought a survey company. I was like, what? What are you doing? But it had so many elements that were different when, than you think of a survey company because it was technology would change it. And I think yours is one of those. It is. I think and, a lot about real estate now, real estate technology, quite a bit. Yeah, it's an industry that for a lot of reasons has not um, adopted technology as fast as other companies. Or been global. It's so local. It's such a local. It's local and the nature of the people and it's just not. There's a whole bunch of reasons. I've thought a lot about this because even sometimes we'll in introduce amazing new technologies and it's hard sometimes to sell new stuff. Now, that's great if you're the embedded provider because mm -hmm. you're less likely to get disrupted. Right. It's a little harder sometimes to get new things introduced. But we've done amazing things. We created a system in Washington where building owners can um, where building owners can get their video monitored by the police department. So that was one of the things that hit me 
actually watching 24. Mm-hmm. I was watching 24 and they're chasing the bad guy mm-hmm. and uh, they're chasing him on the camera and they go, he's coming out of camera view. And Chloe O'Brien says, tunnel in, tunnel into that camera. Mm-hmm. And they did it and they caught the bad guy. And I thought that's the way the world should work, but it doesn't. And so we made it work that way in Washington. Right, right. but it's all kinds of these smart buildings. Mark Cuban has talked about it, like yeah. moving by. I mean, buildings, to me, there's certain areas that are going going to be bigger building. Property is really one, home and commercial is done in such an antiquated way. It reminds me of Oracle database. It's like, why do they have, why do they yeah. do it the way they do it? Um, when it can be so much different, yeah. given all the cameras everywhere, you know, yeah. given all the, not just cameras, but ability to to sen- sensors. And s- I just think it's a really interesting area. So you did that. And then you got into tennis. Why? <laughs> not as a business. We're going to get to city happened. paper. Yeah. Um, not as a business. <laughs> no, the tennis has not been a business. It's been a labor of love and a passion. You bought so it from Billie Jean I King. Bought, I bought the franchise in Washington 10 years ago from Billy. Well, Billy owns the league, so I was mm-hmm. a franchisee. And then I bought the league from Billy last year. And um, I, yeah, I just, tennis has been a big part of my life. I think that sport in particular is a wonderful sport for kids. It teaches you so much. You're on the court by yourself. It teaches mm-hmm. you discipline, self-reliance, a whole bunch of great things that's been helpful in my life. And so I wanted to bring that team to D.C. And our mission really was to use it as a community platform to bring people together to help local charitable partners. And we've done that along the way. We ended up winning a lot of championships and having a lot of success and getting the city behind us. But um, it's been a very rewarding experience. And and do you think a lot about, I'm, I, I know I oriented in terms of tech, but I've interviewed Ted Leonsis and others and Mark Cuban about sports and tech. Tennis really, I mean, Serena Williams is just on the board of survey. I mean, there's like little intersections, but not that much with tennis for sure. Yeah, I mean, the great athletes in tennis are iconic athletes. Back to Stan Smith and Arthur mm-hmm. Ashe and today's Serena and Roger Federer are, are iconic and they're highly sought after by companies. Serena's played for our team. She's been a good friend and she's always had an eye to business. I always right. knew she would get more involved in it. Um, but tennis is not as big in the States as, say, basketball as right. basketball is. But the the quality of the athletes and human beings in tennis, I think, is unparalleled in the sports world. The athletes really understand their role in society and mm-hmm. they they embrace it and try to try to be forces for good. How do you technologize it more? Because like, look, you have the NBA, you have everybody, you know, we just had Adam Silver. Uh, just we talk, that's all they talk about now is is digitization. And obviously with NBC and the Olympics, when you're a sports owner, how do you look at that? Because you're really, a, you're really a sports owner. Right. Yeah. So we, we even done a bunch of, impre- I mean, WTT has been the innovator in tennis. We were the first ones to do instant replay online calling and a shot clock and all kinds of stuff. Last year, we were the first uh, tennis event ever where we mic'd the players during the match. It was amazing. You could hear them talking to each other and mm-hmm. hear their strategies during the match. Uh, and we have a bunch more coming this year. So we do think you know, if you want to appeal to millennial audience, you need to have a product both in person and, and on the screen that's mm-hmm. millennial friendly. And mm-hmm. so we're doing all kinds of things to... Uh, to, to attract But you them. just like tennis. It's just... I, I love the sport and I love the people in it. Right. And, um, and, you know, I said, we've, we've won a lot of championships. We've set all kinds of records. But to me, the most meaningful part of that 10-year experience is you look around the stands and I see families having great times in the summer yeah. and uh, helping local charitable partners who get Venus and Serena to teach them tennis. And, mm-hmm. and those are the things that really matter. Larry Ellison's in a tennis too. Larry's super into tennis. <laughs> he he is. is. It is. It. There's tons of people yeah. who tons of people. It's it's not a sport that people who 
it was important in their life, they know how to invest in it. If you love basketball, you buy a team. Any of the other, that's the simple thing to do. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, tennis hasn't been that way. It's a bit harder to figure right. out how to how to make a difference. And so team tennis has been one of the great ways to do that. Right. We're right. looking for more people who love tennis to come be owners of teams. Yeah, yeah. Tennis was, I, I played a lot of tennis when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so you then bought the city paper. Explain that. Explain how it happened, and then in the next second, we'll talk about local news and where that's— Yeah, so um, five years ago, the city paper was sold as part of a portfolio, and the editor came to me and— Sold several times. It has sold many times over the years, but it's yeah. an iconic paper. It's been around since 1981. It's an important part of the fabric of D.C., and it's mm -hmm. been a it hotbed was, it of— It was with Baltimore originally. Baltimore was with was the it. the original founder. Right. It has an incredible alumni network. You mentioned Jake and ta and Kate Boo and, of course, Kara Swisher uh -huh. at the top of the list. Yes. But also— so an amazing number of people who today write for the Post have been uh, have passed through the city paper. And so five years ago, I looked at buying it, but I got sold as a portfolio. I couldn't spin it out separately. And Meaning it was what, Baltimore? Someone is like five or six of them. And yeah, the seller are. wanted to sell it as a package. Chicago and Reader, I think, was involved, wasn't it? It was Creative Loaf. There was a bunch yeah. of other things yeah. that got sold with it. And the person who bought it, I went to them and said, would you spin it off? And they said, no, we want to keep it together. So that, that came and went. And then in the fall— Why did you want to buy it? I just what? I think— any local community needs strong local journalism. Mm -hmm. And I think local ownership is helpful. Mm -hmm. Having someone who really cares about the community makes mm -hmm. a real difference. I'd say my conviction for it only grew dramatically in the last five years, and especially in the two years. And that's why when it came back in the fall, I I jumped at it. I jumped at it. First of all, I met the woman who's a uh, young woman who's the editor, who's fantastic, Alexa Mills. She came mm -hmm. to my office and with my venture hat on, I thought this is the kind of person I'd want to back. And so that was it. But then secondly, I've just, uh, I think journalists are saving the world to some extent right mm -hmm. now. I think if you closed your eyes and you imagined a world without a free press, that would be a really scary world. Well, a lot the of moment. people are imagining it and actually planning no. for it. Well, <laughs> it's, it's well so, so then we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And it's really been something I've been thinking a lot about. I didn't know exactly how to act on it besides subscribing to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And here was a way to do it in a in a meaningful way, especially at a local level. And so it's something I've really cared, thought a lot about. And I've been, you know, I've been... I've been disturbed by the attacks on the press, the norms, the institutions of our country. And I think one of the best ways to combat that is to have a strong, high-quality high uh, journalism. Had you looked at what Bezos had done? And, I mean, on it, the, well, you didn't buy the Washington Post, but yeah. it wasn't actually that expensive as it turned out. Yeah, and there was a group of local people that we were talking about potentially doing it, but then doing Jeff the did it, doing yeah. the Post, and we were going to do it as a group. And uh, but Jeff did it, and I've I honestly been in awe of what he and Fred Ryan and Marty Baron have done. I think it's extraordinary what they've done. Their focus has been to become more national because mm -hmm. they want to be a digital platform, sure. and it makes yeah. sense. But mm -hmm. what they've done has been amazing, and I've gone over there, and I've sat there. The energy in the newsroom was addictive to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I thought we can—some of what they did, I think, is applicable for the city paper. Some isn't, but the mission is. I think the mission of— providing high-quality local journalism and shining light on things that need to see the light of day is one that they share and we share. All right. We're here talking with Mark Ein. He's an investor and entrepreneur. He's founded lots of companies, been a venture capitalist, but most recently he's gotten in the news for buying an alternative newspaper here in Washington, D.C. called the Washington City Paper, where I began my career. I was fired from the City Paper, by the way. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's sorry okay. About that. It's not your fault. Okay. I deserve it. Do you it. want to come back? No, thank okay. you. I'm okay. We'll hire you back. But you had a lot of other alumni, Jake Tapper, ta 
episodes. Kate Boo was there, a bunch of them. And when we get back, we're going to talk about local news and, and what happens in the internet age with Mark Ein. Today's show is brought to you by Brooke Linen. They want to upgrade your nightly routine and help you feel more well-rested every day. You spend a third of your life in your sheets. Better sheets mean better sleep. Brooklinen sells high-quality sheets without the crazy high markup you might get in stores. It's the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world. The sheets come in a wide variety of colors and patterns. You can mix and match to complement any decor. These are the best sheets ever. You have to try them. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code RECODE at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use the promo code RECODE at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code RECODE. I want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hold on, I just I just got a message on my phone, checking messages. I'm, I'm, oh, hi. Hey, everyone. Hi, Lauren. Every Friday we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, who did we talk to this week and what did we talk about? We talked with Catherine Price. She's the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's a timely topic because um, of all people on this show, Kara, I think you might be the most obsessed with your phone. Catherine, Sorry, thank you for joining phone. us this week. What would you say is your number one tip for people who need to have a healthy your relationship with their devices. Remember that you're going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. We also had a very special guest, Louis Swisher, join us again as our resident teenager. Louis, do you think that you're addicted to your phone? Yes, very. All right. Okay, then there you have it. Well, just remember you're going to die, Louis, (laughs) from Catherine. I didn't know if you wanted me to expand on that, but that's my statement. Go ahead, Catherine. Expand very briefly. What do we talk about? (laughs) Only that you only have a finite amount of time in your life. So every time you're looking at your phone, you're not looking at or experiencing something else. So it can be a grounding thing to keep in mind. All right, then. Well, on that that positive note, it was a great discussion, and we hope you'll go to do it. Actually, it was really interesting, and she's absolutely right. You're going to die someday. Um, You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's too embarrassed to ask. See you there. We're here with Mark Ein. He's a Washington, D.C. investor and entrepreneur, and he has most recently bought the City Paper, which is a local publication I worked at. Um, and a lot of people have. Tons and tons of great alumni have come from it. And we just started to talk about local news and where it's going. And I'm especially struck by it in the internet age because a lot of local news has been bought up. For example, the TV news by Sinclair across the country. Local newspapers dying. Um, Big newspapers like the Washington Post where I worked also. Um, I focused on local retail when I was here. I covered Heckinger and the end of Woody's, the end of Garfinkel's the end of everything. You know, I mean, it was really interesting. So I really did see the impact of digital technologies on these on these areas. And local news seemed to suffer absolutely the most. Um, and and getting no coverage, city halls, corruption were things things that really needed attention. And City Paper has been at the forefront of that for years. Um, talk about your sort of business idea of how you save this, because that's really what you're charged with doing. Yeah. So Let's start with what the problem is, which you you outlined is that um, as new generations aren't used to looking at print, they never use never becomes a habit. And so print dies. You have to survive on digital is the common wisdom. 
And it's hard to sell digital if you're niche and small, which is mm-hmm. why people try to aggregate big audiences. That's where right. all the dollars are. Um, and so, and so that's that. That is the problem um, as it relates to the city paper. I've never done anything in my life that more. I've had such an outpouring of support. There's gratitude, but there's also heartfelt and meaningful offers of how can I help? What can I do? And so people around town, people who own businesses, prominent people, everyone has said, what can I do to help? Explain who you got involved. Yeah. So we had uh, Ted Leonsis got Mm -hmm. involved. Um, uh, Jose Andres got involved. Chef. Chef Chef Jose Andres. Um, People, (laughs) Jeremy Zimmer, who's not local, but from the West Coast, Mm -hmm. heard about it and said, I want to help you think through this. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark Walsh, who you know. Um, And there's a whole bunch of more people coming uh, just because since it got announced, that was the small group of people who I talked to before we announced it. And there's a whole bunch more. And then on the journalism side, the alumni network of of Jake and Tanahasi and Kate, hopefully you. Um, uh, so everyone's wanted to help. And so hopefully in that goodwill and offers of support, we come up with a model that works. So can you talk a little bit through that? Because, you know, I, I think about this a lot because journalism isn't a charity, but it is. It's sort of become that way. It, you know, I mean, Bezos is, I think they're making a tiny bit of money. It's not an enormous money. I, I always bug internet billionaires to invest in the New York Times and things like that. I'm always trying to get one of them to put a billion dollars into something like the New York Times, I'm like, what would they do with a billion dollars? Um, and so, you know, it's interesting that it's now internet people that they're getting the money from or tech people, but that's where the money is. So that would, and they're interested in it. And some of them are guilty for having ruined local well, <laughs> journalism, essentially, or ruined well, the business model. Yeah, indirectly, it indirectly. wasn't the goal, but no. yeah, through the things that they founded. So, um, so I think that's a really interesting point. It's something that I've given a lot of thought to recently is that, you know, as people are successful and they try to make a difference in the world, you can be involved philanthropically, you can be involved civically. Some people buy art, some people buy sports teams. I actually think this is going to be a new category of things that people say, mm-hmm. I can make a huge impact in the world, but people make movies and documentaries. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a category that people really focus on. I've seen it myself, the amount of people are interested. So I think there is, and then there's actual real foundations who you can raise money from to mm-hmm. get grants to do journalism, of which we're sure. going to tap into. But 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 ultimately what we've said is we're going to stand this up and give it a long runway and a lot of resources. Ultimately, it does need to stand on its own. I mean, at some point it needs to. And we do think we can through a combination of their grants, events, which is a big thing, mm-hmm. the way people use these platforms. And then we're going to see what happens. There is, I believe, an audience for print that gets given to people on street corners. There is, if you look in our paper and you look at the Kennedy Center, the 930 Club, the Anthem, there is no single better way to see every show that's coming in town in those venues and picking up the yep. back page of the city paper is the best. There's no digital you know, equivalent. I used to, actually, we used to paste those down and one would come up and you'd lose it on the floor and then you'd paste it <laughs> yeah, down. Well, I mean, sure. like, I have memories of, of yeah. that kind of stuff. But like, it still is. And that's why those, those um, that's why they give us the money they do because it actually does sell well, tickets. let's talk about that. the business models of these things. Because most of these, as I recall, when I was there, it was selling ads to like 930 Club. I know Seth Hurwitz yeah, is, is Seth. involved. Um, it was club things. It was beer. There was a lot of liquor. Uh, and, and that was the city paper. And different. And the Washington Post, of course, had Hackenders and Woody's and things like that, which soon died. And then went, and Classifieds was a very important part of the city paper. Now, Craigslist decimated everybody, essentially. And, and more other technologies like that. I think probably Craigslist did more to decimate local news, you know, because that was, but the fact of the matter is classifieds weren't good. 
They were expensive. They didn't work. They were static. The people on the other end were rude. Like, all kinds of problems with their businesses that they never fixed or addressed. But how do you—when you're thinking about that business plan, advertising is the number one, correct? Advertising is the vast majority. Print Print advertising. And then digital and then some amount of events. Right. So how do you then rethink that? Because there's—I sit around and there's almost no way out of it that is easy. So I think just like I've done with the other companies that we've bought where you find a really good company you can make better, I think we can execute a lot better. Mm -hmm. So the company's lost money for five years, but it hasn't lost so much money. Mm -hmm. So incremental things make a huge difference for us. I think we can execute on the sales side in a big way. And if we just tap into the people who believe in what we're doing, Mm -hmm. that will make a gigantic difference. That's one. I think we can do have a much better digital footprint. So we're going to transfer the platform to something that's a lot more user-friendly and better for serving ads. Mm -hmm. I think we can do better there. Events is a gigantic opportunity for us. Um, We, you ask you, yeah, the ads are the local entertainment. It's it's arts is what it is for us. Mm -hmm. And there's a way, I think, to curate interesting um, events with them in partnership with them and uh, and increase our events business, as you mm-hmm. well know I, it, Rico. You're, you're a big behind. believer in events. It's 15 years later. Everyone's catching up. But look, I'll give you another just interesting thing that, that we thought about is um, the arts organizations in town are the ones who really provide 80% of our advertising. They sell about 2.5 million tickets a year in Washington. If you add up the sports teams in town, they sell 6 million tickets. Mm-hmm. We get not a dollar from them, but right. we're the best way to reach the millennial audience. So we're actually going to start a sports section. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to cover, since we're weekly, we're not going to cover games and standings, but we're going to tell the behind the scenes story of the athletes and the teams are fantastic stories, the same stories we tell Mm -hmm. about everyone else in town. And we believe in that the sports organizations will then want to be supporters of ours. All of these things, any one of these Mm -hmm. could tilt us over to... One of the issues around City Paper, as I remember, was always bite the hand that feeds you, essentially. It was, you know, way before snark and the internet, which now it seems tame in comparison, City Paper was always really holding me to the fire of power, including people like the 930 Club, like all your advertisers. It was always yeah. an issue when I was there. Yeah. Is It was that. And it was quite tense. Now it's, I would assume, even more weaponized, essentially. I, th- I actually think it's become a little less. I think when you have... I think it was, that was, they had to stake out their role in the community. Mm -hmm. And when the Post was doing what it was doing, that was the right role. I think now that the Post has become somewhat more nationally focused, that Mm -hmm. we can be a little less known for just doing that. I think Mm -hmm. we are the ones who hold people's feet to the fire. We do hold people accountable, especially local politicians. That, and uh, it's funny, when I was thinking of buying this, a very... Uh, loose call? lips. Loose lips, right. So when I was thinking of buying it, a very prominent person in town came over to me and said, I heard your thing of buying the city paper. And I said, what are you talking about? And I said, come on. And I said, well, I'm thinking about it. And they said, well, then are you going to kill loose lips? Yeah. And I said, well, now that you've said that, I'm definitely not killing right, it. Right, right, yeah. First of all, I'm not making editorial decisions, but we're not. So it is it is known for that. Um, but I, I'm not a believer in snark. I don't, and Alexa isn't either. I don't think snark for the sake of that is a tone that really is attractive to a wide audience. I think there's a way to be responsible, um, both positively when there's good stories to tell and negatively when there's negative stories to tell. And how do you do that in this age? Because I have to say nothing, media has gotten utterly nasty. I mean, you know, Jake Tapper is pretty tough on Twitter if I, you know, or anybody is. Yeah, but if you read the cover story about, uh, 
Treon White, the new council member, it's an amazing story. He's a 32-year-old up-and-coming guy, just mm-hmm. got elected. And it's really a positive story mm-hmm. about a guy who's a positive guy. And you know what? I actually believe readers want to read those. Mm-hmm. I think there's a role. I think people want to hear mm-hmm. good because right. of what you've said. Everything else gears so negative. Right. Um, and they can't be Pollyannish, but right. I think if there's good stuff happening and you can write about those things, I think there's a lot of desire for people to read that. When you are with your editor, she was part of finding an owner. I know that. And yeah. you do want to find a good owner. When I was looking for money, I was definitely very wary of venture capitalists, for example. I just didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want them to have any control over me. And so I picked people, I picked NBC and, and Terry Semmel, who are both media people. You know what I mean? That really did understand those things. And even even then, it's hard. It's Even then, there's there's often, every now and then, even when I was working at the journal, um, there was always sort of, I wouldn't say meddling because it never really got to that, but it was definitely a constant worry. How do you look at uh, the new, when you look at that, what do you think about as being the owner? Because you've got to be super, I mean, Pierre Omidyar got in trouble at the Intercept, you know, and all good intentions. By the way, Pierre has a lot of like astonishingly good intentions. But when you think of, and Bezos has managed rather well to stay out of the news on being a meddling owner. But how do you look at that? You're not a meddling owner. You don't go there. I mean, I've literally been to the office twice. Once Mm -hmm. when I was thinking about buying it and once with a bottle of champagne when we did it. Right. And I haven't been back. But you've got to be thinking about how it goes because— I do, but People say, why would you buy this? What would be the reason? Because I believe that it's important to support high-quality journalism. I Mm -hmm. didn't want it to go away, and I didn't want it to be— minimized. I wanted it to be everything it can be. That was it, period, full stop. I, mm-hmm. That was the reason I did it. And mm-hmm. and I think we're living in a time where it's more important than ever. And mm-hmm. so we can do that. I don't need to go there. And and you just say, we're not, I'm not getting involved in editorial one way or the other. And you you walk the walk and you prove that and and you have that separation. That's what we've done, and that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. But and they, that goes, by the way, for everyone else who was involved around it, all the advisors and everyone else. They all play by the same rules. Right, that they can't be irritated yep. or nope. annoyed and nope. stuff like and that. Everyone knows that that's part of what comes with the territory. But but And I know that I'm going to have uncomfortable moments. I already had. I had someone call me last week. I haven't seen you in a while. Can I come see you? I hear you. Some the paper's doing something, writing something. And I just said, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in those right. things. And right. I just think, mostly everything you do in life that's positive has some negative. And I'll, mm-hmm. on this one, I'll take a little bit of negative right. for all the good we'll be able to do. Right. We're going to talk about all more with Mark Ein. He's here. He's an investor, an entrepreneur in Washington. He has recently bought the Washington City paper, getting involved in digital journalism and regular journalism. Um, and when we get back, we're going to talk more about where he's going next with his various investments. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the customer data platform for every screen. And I'm here with co-founder and CEO, Michael Katz. We know that uh, people are using mobile to research and transact more than ever before, which we've talked about. Um, what's the future of mobile commerce and how does MParticle help its uh, retailer customers like Overstock, Lily Pulitzer, and Jet.com? So the classic notion of a person moving through the funnel is fundamentally broken. Mm-hmm. People may start researching a company's product on their laptop, subscribe to that brand's email newsletter a few days later, get an email which they open on their phone, download the app and complete the purchase. You know, so right there, just trying to map the customer journey, you need to capture data from four or five systems. So brands need to create uh, consistent and personalized experiences across all these devices and systems. And so it starts with having a data platform 
that was built to ingest data from anywhere, mm-hmm. create a unified view of the customer, and then in real time sync that data out to all the various marketing and analytics tools that the company may use in order to create these experiences. So people are doing very different things all the time. Absolutely. Dynamic as they are using all these devices. For sure. Thank you, Mike Katz of MParticle. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Go to www.mparticle.com or follow us on Twitter at mparticles with an S. Thank you so much. Thanks. We're here with Mark Ein. He's an investor and entrepreneur here in Washington, D.C. You know, you talked at the beginning about this idea of of Washington losing its step in a technology sense. Now, I was here for the Washington Post. I wrote about the first internet companies. Mark Pincus started his first company from Zynga. Obviously, Steve Case and Ted Leonsis were here with AOL, which sort of ran into a wall. Eventually, now it's called Oath. I just interviewed Tim Armstrong on stage, but that company's sort of a shadow of what it was. Uh, all the original internet companies we heard, MCI, you know, uh, PSINet. Unit. um UUNet, um, all of them, because the Internet Hub was here. Um, One of the May East, I think, was here. Um, There were obviously Defense Department things, but it was a very, it was a very, in the early stages, it was a hub of activity. And I think what we could pretty much say AOL was the most critical at that time. How do you look at the scene here when you look around at, uh, uh, around the technology scene? What happened? Yeah, so I've been a big champion and uh, that's part, trying to be supportive. It's important for the local. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And I, I, in 1999, when everyone was going out to run Virginia, I planted a flag on 7th Street downtown in a, in a loft to say this is where it's going to go. So I think the first internet wave was about building the pipes and the infrastructure. And mm-hmm. this community was perfect for that. Right. For all the reasons we said, it was the perfect place for that. And that's what we did. The second wave was much more about the creative economy and the creative class. And that just has not been a strength of Washington relative mm-hmm. to other places. So there have been some good companies, Blackboard and others. Living Social was a big hope at one yeah. point here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that people aren't, you know, there's a lot of genomics and stuff out of NIH that's good, but it it is not been nearly right. what the first wave is. And it's it's frustrating to a lot of people. There's still a lot of activity and a lot of hope, but the, the results speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we keep trying and keep hoping. You know, it really only takes one of right. those kind of— Well, no, it doesn't, episodes. actually. There's always one. I think of Los Angeles, Demand Media, then not. Snapchat's obviously struggling. Like, MySpace was in L.A., and then it didn't. Austin had a whole bunch of them. It's never been replicated outside of Silicon Valley on a massive scale, except maybe New York a little bit, but still not. Yeah, but when you get those sort of suns that are centers of the solar system, look at what the spin-off, look, we're sitting in in Vox's office, which came out right. of AOL. There's a whole right. bunch that came out of AOL. There's a lot of stuff that came out of mm-hmm. AOL, entrepreneurs, venture capital, a lot of good things. A company in town that doesn't get a lot of attention is MicroStrategy, actually. The company oh, yeah. Appian just went public, ClareBridge, Alarm.com. It was actually a little bit like the smaller version of that. So you need those. You need the ones that break away, that mm-hmm. become worth a lot of money and people and we're uh, magnets of talent. And we just haven't had one of those in a long time. So we keep trying, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been as good. And that's one of the reasons I also pivoted to looking to buying right. companies outside of this area. But ones, again, where we could be a catalyst to help them grow. How do you create those? Because here you are trying to create sort of reinvigoration of a media that was popular and then saw some really hard times. Uh, how do you do that as an entrepreneur, like thinking about it? Because I'm thinking local, like local is a really good idea. I mean, you have in the LA Times just got bought by a billionaire there who's a local billionaire. So I think it's better than the Tronk billionaires. 
that guy from Chicago. Um, when you're looking at all this, a really interesting thing of how you—Steve Case talks about this. How do you create economies elsewhere? Um, because we that's what's going on right now around jobs and, and right. elsewhere in this country. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the local journalism, it's interesting. Literally in the three months I've been looking at this, I feel like we just found ourselves in the path of progress. So Facebook just hired Campbell Brown to mm-hmm. focus on local Couple, news. Yeah. Google is focused on it. Mm-hmm. The World Economic Forum, like everyone— feels like this is something they've got to crack the code on. I think, obviously, with the election, people are realizing the issue of not having real news. Mm -hmm. um, And people are realizing there's some amount of effort on the national level, but local is really important. And so I feel like we're in the path of progress. How it all comes together and, uh, and, and manifests itself into something sustainable, we'll see. You know, again, this is something I'm passionate about, but it isn't my day job. My job is to help and be a catalyst, bring the talent and capital and relationships. Uh, But this isn't what I'm doing day in and day out. But when you think about it, when you look at like the Facebooks of the world as a media owner, um, you know, they're in a lot of trouble lately of how they behaved. And Campbell was there quite, it was just on our stages and caused a lot of controversy. He said, I'm not here to help publishers make money, which I'm like, you kind of are. That's really kind of your job. <laughs> but okay. Um, but she, the point she was making is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's We're not the be all and end all. And yet everything's moved to Facebook or people's news distribution has happened there. I I think they're at the beginning of their journey. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> I was surprised to hear. I was surprised as you were to hear that. I think ultimately it's not a sustainable ecosystem where people produce content and someone else monetizes it. Right. That's not going to work in the right. long term. So something's got to give. Right. And uh, and I think, you know, hopefully there's models that they are good for them and also good for local publishers who mm-hmm. can invest in the content. I, You know, one thing, Kara, we, we've posed, I mentioned one area of sports that we're looking at mm-hmm. job. We just uh, put someone new in locally. And the editor, Alexa, tells me, she says, Mark, every time we post a job, she goes, I'm embarrassed by the amount of high-quality people we get who want to work here. There are so many journalists looking for a yeah. platform, high, really high-quality journalists. Right. So there's way more content that should be written yeah. that is being funded right now. And I've said with this, if we ever make money, it's all going back in. I mm-hmm. assume whatever money I've put in, I'm never getting out. And my dream would be to grow our revenues so that we can hire more of those journalists. What are your revenues? Are you going to tell me? You're not going to tell me. No, but it's, it's What did you buy huge. it for? It wasn't a huge amount no, of money. I, but that number I saw in Washington. Yeah, that wasn't right because it came with a lot of liabilities right. and losses and stuff. So, you, you know, that's not, right. you can and never judge it by lose. that. No, right. of course, how much you're going to um, lose You can't, you can't, but, but it, it's, it's going to be a meaningful investment over the next couple of years. It's not going to turn around, but um, it's something that I'm enthusiastic about doing. All right. So let's finish up talking about where you think the next wave is going in business. What do you, what are you looking at? You're not doing as much investing. You're sticking with these companies, but you've obviously have an itchy... Yeah. So, Attitude towards new yeah, things. Yeah. So, 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 you know, I what I decided to do is to not do a ton of things, but every year to find a company that I could buy, which not the city paper. That is mm-hmm. not the investment part of my life. That's right. the it's philanthropic. Tennis. tennis and city paper. Yeah, those are like the philanthropic <laughs> parts of my life. The real uh, business part of my life is every year to finding a great company we can buy and help be a catalyst to grow it. So I've used these public vehicles called SPACs. So that's what capital Explain investment SPACs for. for the- so we go out and we raise, um, last one raised $400 million. It's a public Chimoth company. Chamath did, did do that. Yeah, we've been doing it for 10 years. We've yeah. done three successful, really successful 
deals with it. And we just raised our fourth one in August. And, so you have four hundred fifty million dollars, yeah, burning a hole in your pocket. Well, looking for the right company to invest in, and and our thing is is that we're really long term investors. This is what I was doing with my own capital, and this is a way to do it at bigger scale. So mm-hmm. I think we're really good partners to management teams. Uh, the three. So this that is they before. they just for people who don't know they buy they you buy a company and then you it instantly becomes public. Yeah, because we're public. public, so we're public with cash, and then you find a private company, and then they get our cash in the public vehicle, and they get us and the things that we can bring. So, Some people are talking about. Uh, internet companies doing this so they can go public very quickly without the whole rigmarole that happens. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of advantages to going public this way, mm-hmm. I believe. We've proven it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be the right situation. It's not right for every company, but it's right for a lot of companies. And every one of the ones that we've done, the companies were effusive about the experience and our investors made money and it's been great. So we're looking for number four. You know, the company that we did out of the, out of the second one, I love a company called Lindblad Expeditions. Mm-hmm. So it's a company that takes people in partnership with National Geographic, like Arctic, Antarctic, Galapagos. Oh, wow. And, you know, the basic thesis there two or three years ago capital was— Capital constrained. Capital constrained, huge returns on capital, great brand, entrepreneur, built the business, never had a partner. We met him. We gave him capital to grow. But it was basically the theory that people in the world want experiences, not stuff. That is true. And um, we take people to—you know, and it's interesting. I thought about the arc of my own career. You know, when I started on Wall Street, it was what tie you wore and suit you wore. And mm-hmm. you moved to L.A., it's what car you drove. and. Mm-hmm. DC was the size of your office and some building here. And, uh, you know, and today, well, that's what it was. But, and, you know, and today your brand is who you are on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. And Facebook. And so, you know, we take people to the Arctic to take pictures with the polar bears and Mm -hmm. Antarctic with the penguins and the Mm blue-footed boobies and Galapagos. And there's Mm -hmm. like an insatiable desire for people to do that. And the Airbnb experiences I'm riveted to. No one else is paying attention to them, but I— To their experiences. Their experiences they're adding to their business. Yeah. I find them really interesting. I've done a whole bunch. just. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge believer in this. I And I also think as we get more urbanized and more— heads down in our phones, just the need and the opportunity to take people away into nature and see the world and get away and unplug for a little bit of time mm-hmm. is something that's just going to be a really, really important, profound trend for a long time. So mm-hmm. Limblad's one of the great leaders in that. So the anti-tech addiction thing. It is. I think it's an antidote to that. Except and you bring uh, your Instagram. to that. <laughs> we want you to post hashtag Limblad <laughs> when you're there so people see how good it is, but, but you're not. I mean, when you're you know, when you're on the on the iceberg. I don't think there's an experience it. anyone can have anymore that they don't chronicle. Like, my goal is at some point to become a hermit where <laughs> I just don't speak to any. Just go off of everything and I'll be gone kind of thing. I think, you know, the detox idea is a good one. It's so, interesting. It is. But we, we love that. And I think finding other things like that that are centered around experiences um, is a really interesting uh, trend that we're interested in. And what else in. are you looking at? So in the third one, we actually bought an enterprise software for the PR mm-hmm. communications industry called mm-hmm. Decision. So mm-hmm. we own PR Newswire, amongst other stuff. And oh, nice. our mission there is really interesting. This was a large p- company uh, built by GTCR, private mm-hmm. equity firm in Chicago. Um, and it's um, it's enterprise software in the cloud for that industry. And uh, and our, our mission there is to make earned media measurable the way that paid media is. So right. we got the guy from Oracle. So obviously a bunch of Silicon Valley companies has made, you know, paid media measurable and 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 um, and we're trying to do the same for earned media. So uh, we own Pure Newswire and a bunch of other assets that- For those who don't know, Pure Newswire is where everybody puts their 
you put your press releases, press release on. right? But you know, the thing I'm a huge believer too in earned media. I mean, obviously, you can look at the presidential election. You know, yeah. um, the power of earned media is 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 proven, but it's hard to measure, and so mm-hmm. people don't know how much to spend, how much to invest. So, right. if we can take this gigantic platform, we're the biggest company in the world by a factor of three, and actually make it measurable, we think we can prove the efficacy of it, and people will invest more. And I'm curious yeah. what you think Donald Trump's tweets are: Are they earned or paid media? <laughs> yeah, I stay away from that. All right, but, stay away from that. <laughs> but uh, so we we love that company, and we're we're seeing a lot of really interesting things for capital investment. For um, there's there are a lot of companies doing interesting things that, with a little bit of capital and some help, can become great long term world class companies. All right, last couple of questions. Um, being in D.C., what is it like here now with this mood of the country? What do you, what's going to solve it? <laughs> it must be exhausting. It's exhausting being a Californian. Yeah, it is a little harder to get away. I mean, it's interesting. It is a company town, but I'm not really in, I don't work for the company. So you're mm-hmm. a little bit removed from it day in and day out, but you're close to it. So by proximity, you can't you can't ignore it. And yeah, I think it's disorient. I mean, it's disorienting for all of us, no matter where you live. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting when you are... Um, in Washington, as you know, because you lived here, because you get a disproportionate amount of attention. So mm-hmm. um, it, I'll tell you this, that mm-hmm. that uh, when uh, I bought the city paper, the Washington Post wrote an article. Mm, I saw it. Yeah, uh, and I got a... And I got a, I got a note from the president congratulating me. You're kidding. Nope. <laughs> what did he say? Congratulations. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. But that's a little Does he anecdote. Does know you own about, Catherine Graham's house? No, he doesn't. But <laughs> but but it's um it's an interesting anecdote about what it means to live in Washington. Is right. you know that you just right. have a greater spotlight. And whenever yeah. I travel, people are amazed at how you know senators and congressmen and presidents and but we it's a small community here. I mean, it's right. a little and it's actually one of the reasons I love living here. Mm-hmm. I really love this place. Um, because people are interesting and they're doing interesting things, they care about the world. It's it's tricky at times, but um, but it's a place where people are making a difference. But at the same time, it's kind of a small town. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and then one question I ask everybody, you know, you're an entrepreneur. If you had to, we give entrepreneurial advice to people. I, you could either pick something you did really well or something not so well. Um, and what you learned or didn't or did well, do you think, well, that was really great? Yeah. I mean, my best advice is just, you just have to follow your internal compass and follow your true north. I've just seen so many times where people take a shortcut because they think that it's going to get them where they want to go and it ends up being the thing that kills them. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, you oftentimes have to do, I just think if you take a long-term view, I've always thought it's um, it's a it's a long life in a small world, so treat people well and that's the mm-hmm. best advice you can take. Um, and I just, I just think you just follow your internal compass, always try to follow your true north and, um, and it'll serve you well, even in the moment, if it sometimes feels like it's not the most expedient thing to do, just know that long-term it'll pay off. So in the day after you said, when you invest in startups, you feel like they're just losing you money the next day. How do you feel about owning a local news organization? Well, again, this is this is this is <laughs> yeah. the different. You feel better about it. Well, it's different because it's in the philanthropic part of my right. life, and we've gone in with the expectations different. But look, I I really believe that we can drive more revenues. As I've said, if that turns out that we're making money, we're just going to hire more people, and I'm really passionate about this, and I think this is a platform that we can do a lot of good with. 
Okay, Mark Ein. Con- oh, by the way, congratulations to Mark Ein. He just had a, he's here. He just had a <laughs> child today or last night. Like eight hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> Are you tired? Good luck with that. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks, Kara. Congratulations, Mark. Thank you. thank you for talking to us today, especially today. Um, if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes. You can find nearly 200 past interviews in whatever app you use to listen to this are on our website, recode.net slash podcast. In Washington, we've done Ted Leonsis, Steve Case, a whole bunch of people. I got to get Mark Walsh on here and give him a hard time on something or other. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. If you'll be at South by Southwest in March, I have some exciting news. We'll be there doing live podcasts. Vox Media is taking over the Belmont, about a 10-minute walk from the Austin Convention Center. You can learn more at voxmedia.com slash SXSW hyphen 2018. I'm trying to entice Mark Cuban showing up. We'll see if he'll take the challenge. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts on Recode Media with Peter Kopka. You'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good from The Verge where I answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference and Code Media. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.